0: Hey, wait a minute. That's the book. I know it's a book. The book. They left it. The other ship, The Horizon. This is the contamination, Captain. Astonishing. An entire culture based on this. You said they were imitative in the book. I don't want any more cracks about the book. Did they leave any other books?
1: Welcome, everyone, from around the world to Positively Trek. We thank you so much for joining us. I'm Bruce Gibson, and with me, as he always is, and reading Star Trek books, is Dan Gunther. Dan, are we ready to do this thing today?
2: I think we're ready to do this. Excited to be here. Always happy to talk about Star Trek in all of its forms, and and uh, books, comics, television shows, and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah always happy to talk trek
1: now i haven't listened back to the panel that I did at mission chicago which we released as a book club but you listened to it did did my
2: enthusiasm for for star trek books come out during that panel at all oh yes very much so i can tell you you stated quite emphatically how much you love the books and uh, that that came across really well yeah
1: <laughs> great <laughs> I just remember doing that. I haven't listened back to it because I'm—I don't
2: want to. I'm embarrassed now. But oh, you shouldn't be. It was—it was very good. I was so wanting to be there after, well, before and after listening to it.
1: <laughs> but I—it's true though, Dan. I really love the books. Mm-hmm. I know. So do I. I mean, I'm right there with you. That's why we do them on a podcast. Yeah. Now, do I love every Star Trek novel that comes out? Not necessarily, but I like most of them. The majority of Mm -hmm. them. There hasn't been a book that I absolutely hated, at least not yet.
2: Oh, that's, mm, there haven't been ones that I've absolutely hated, but there have been ones that I didn't like very much, I guess. But I, yeah, I'd say I've never hated a single Star Trek novel. And I think that still holds true today.
1: Good. Same here. But, Let's talk about this novel and see how that holds up for us, because on today's show, we're talking about the TNG novel Dragon's Honor by Keej Johnson and Greg Cox. And this came out in January of 1996, and this is back in the days when they numbered the novels. So this was number 38 of the Next Generation novels. So January of 96, I was well into reading Star Trek novels, but I wasn't reading every new one that came out I never read this one. So this was just kind of this random, let's do an old TNG novel. And we just picked this one just out of the blue. So Dan, I think I remember you telling me at the time you had never read it before.
2: That's right. Yeah. I was also reading Star Trek novels at the time this came out. I was pretty deep into my Trek loving career, I guess. Uh, But yeah, I had never read this one. I think I remember reading novels kind of around it when it came out, but for whatever reason, I just had never picked this one up. Uh, So yeah, this was my first time reading it as well.
1: Well, now you have a physical copy. Did you buy it back then? Or is that like from a used bookstore afterwards?
2: It is from a used bookstore uh, from a few years ago. I see that from the price tag on the back, it's from a bookstore called fairs Fair which uh, I believe is in Calgary. So that must've been when I lived in Calgary for a few years in the early 20 teens, I believe. So uh, yeah, it's been on my, my shelf for not too long, but uh, I still have never gotten around to reading it till now. I'm always amazed when we pick an old book,
1: you seem to always have a physical copy, not always, but a lot of the times you do.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I do have a lot of Trek books. A lot of them still kind of in boxes from my latest move, which is like, six or seven years ago at this point. So I have no excuse for having them all in boxes still, but they're, they're all still there. And and I usually try to see if I have a copy of the book that we're going going to cover. And this one, I was pretty sure I had, so I dug around a little bit and found it.
1: Yeah. For a lot of these old ones, if I've never read it, I usually have to do the ebook. To, to do these shows but every once in a while we do hit one that i've either read or i do own but i never went around to reading it and so i sometimes i don't know i, I like the physical books i think maybe a little more than ebooks but the ebooks are better when you're doing a podcast because i can mm-hmm. highlight and make notes which i don't want to do yeah. in a physical book
2: yeah, there's, there's definitely a bit of give and take for me on both sides. I do love being able to highlight and make notes and stuff in an ebook, and then just be able to jump to those when you're going back through it. The one thing I do like about a physical book, even while podcasting, is the flippability. Yes. Like if, you know, it's like something in Chapter 12, oh, it's here, or I've got a little bookmark, or there's a little glossary at the back with the characters' names. I can just flip there without you know, necessarily having to move my place there in the ebook or something. Sometimes that maybe I'm just getting a little bit older and not as good with technology, but that bugs me sometimes that like, oh, I've got to change where I am in the book in order to, you know, I can't just flip somewhere and flip back, it seems. But anyway.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I've noticed too that it's easier in a physical book. Even in my job, I deal with contracts and most of the contracts I have are on my computer and somebody will say, oh, it's clause. 15 on page seven and i'm scrolling scrolling scroll and i'm like man if it was printed you know i can just flip to it real quick <laughs> you know yeah so that
2: said i always love like the control f like if you have something on your computer to just be able to find a certain phrase or word and if there was some way to magically do that with a physical book Oh, that I would be in heaven. I love that. Yeah. Just like, oh, there's a, there's a part of the book where Riker said something like blah, blah, blah. And you can just like control F type that in and enter and finds it kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, cannot do that with a physical book. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I use control F. All the time, not just, I mean, I use them sometimes with eBooks, but definitely when I use contracts on a computer, mm-hmm. I'm on calls, like Zoom calls with people, and they'll say like, oh yeah, where where does it mention the term in here? And I do control of term, I'm like, oh, it's on page eight. How did you find that so quick? Oh, yeah, I just remembered where it was.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've memorized this entire document. You haven't? <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs> and I memorized this entire book, Dragon's Honor. No, not necessarily. But Keej Johnson, that's K-I-J, Johnson. This is the only book she's written. And I think we just found out that the
2: K-I-J is her initials, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, Catherine Irene, I'm not sure if that's pronounced correctly, but Catherine Irene Johnson, uh, which I'm assuming, yeah, the K-I-J, that's what that stands for. Yeah, it looks that
1: way. So this is the first and only Star Trek novel she's written. But then it was co-written with Greg Cox, who's written many Star Trek novels since. And I Mm -hmm. think this is one of his first, if not his first, of the Star Trek novels that he's done.
2: As Dan types and looks it up right now. I just need to know, I'm pretty sure this is, like you say, at least one of his first, um, if not his very first. I feel like it might be here.
1: Well, he wrote it in 96 during the
2: Eugenics Wars. Yes, right, of course. <laughs> <laughs> when when Khan blasted off from Earth, I remember that year well. He does too, sure. he wrote books about it. <laughs> he do, he did, yep. <laughs> so, I'm looking
1: here too. I do find I did find a book, Devil in the Sky from 95, which was a deep space Oh, a deep space nine book that he wrote,
2: which we did cover, I believe, on Literary Treks. That's right. Yeah. So, but this one, I guess then would be his second Star Trek novel.
1: Okay. So let's, let's kind of give you a quick, like, we're going to go right into spoilers and stuff, but right before we do that, just to kind of set up the book and, and what it's about. So there's this throne world named Pi, which is also known as the dragon empire And they have avoided contact with the Federation and other civilizations for years, thousands of years, or whatever, for a long period of time, however long that might be. They're not even sure how long, but that the Dragon Empire has been around. But the Enterprise has now been assigned to go visit the planet. So I guess they have now opened up communications. The planet's in the Dragon Nebula. And there's this theory that these researchers have that the empire was settled by colonists from Asia after the genetics war, and they resemble medieval China. So we're talking about late 20th, actually 21st century, that these people would have left Earth and colonized this planet as medieval ancient China. So Mm -hmm. these people have been divided by this civil war between the emperor, which is known as the dragon and Lord Lu Tung. Anyway, that that's kind of just like a brief setup of that. So I'm going to just go into this and just say that this premise is kind of interesting to me that colonists would leave modern day Earth to establish a colony. That's like ancient China.
2: Mm hmm. Kind of like based on 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 ancient China. I'm assuming they they left in like sleeper ships, like the kind that Khan was exiled on. That Probably based yeah. on the timeline. Yeah, mm. it's interesting. I I I think it's an interesting premise for sure. And we've seen something very similar actually in the next generation in the episode "Up the Long Ladder" with the with the <laughs> another great. You know, not at all racist uh <laughs> interpretation of stuff with the the Irish colonists in the TNG episode up the long ladder where they you know got rid of all their modern technologies and and became peasant farmers and stuff i guess the interesting thing is here they have this kind of ancient chinese look to their their empire but it's implied that they still have really good technology as well it's just kind of hidden behind the scenes of everything
1: Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I'm trying to really figure out why the authors decide to go in this direction, but before we really start getting into the book, what episodes of Star Trek should you watch before going into this book? And I think the answer would be any TNG episodes. So you're at least familiar with who the characters are.
2: Yeah, that's pretty much it. This, it doesn't really relate back to many previous adventures I'd say the, the, uh, the alien threat in this book isn't from any other televised adventure or anything that I've seen before. Uh, so yeah, it's a pretty fresh adventure for the next generation crew, very much standalone. So, you know, I I'd say if you're familiar with the TNG series in general, you've, even if you've just watched a few episodes, you'll be able to get this book and what it's all about.
1: Well I'm looking here at chapter one. It starts off with a captain's log, star date four seven one four six point two. And I know my Star Trek to know that it starts with 47 means it takes place in the seventh season or the seventh year of the Enterprise D. So this this is the last season of DS9 when this is taking place. So it's not early on. But you're right, it doesn't relate to anything from like a previous episode or even a previous novel.
2: Yeah. But when you're reading it, you can, you can picture Worf with his big long ponytail because that's what his hair was like at the time. That's like, that's like how you determine what season you're in. It's like, what what's Worf's hair doing? And is Deanna Troy in a uniform or a skin tight leotard? Or as in the case of this novel, neither. <laughs> and something very different. <laughs>
1: I was actually going to bring up Troy and you went right for it. I was like, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to get into that. Definitely for sure. So initial thoughts of this novel before we really get into it.
2: This one took a little bit of work to get into. There were a lot of things that it was doing with the story and with the characters that had me kind of questioning you know, why is the Federation here? What is the enterprise trying to accomplish with this mission? Why do we care about some things? But as I got into it, there's, there's kind of a central mystery of the story and it's nothing too crazy or or too convoluted, but it does involve our characters trying to figure out who's behind certain things and what's going on. So I appreciated those aspects of the story. I I appreciated the actual kind of plot as it was going forward. It was kind of the world building of the dragon empire. And a lot of the things that this novel is trying to say about these people and their society that uh, had me scratching my head a lot. So I, I have very mixed feelings on this novel. Definitely not a favorite. It's not one I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to revisit this novel. Uh, but, you know, I'm glad to have read it. It's never going to be one of my favorites, though. <laughs> Same here. I didn't really care for this that much. I
1: will say I wasn't bored with it. It wasn't like it was hard mm-hmm. for me to get through it at all. And it's not a real long, it's not, you know, I don't know how many pages it is, but it's, it's not, it's not as long as some of the current day novels we
2: usually get. So it's a fairly quick read. It's under 300 pages. Yeah.
1: Okay. So yeah, that's about right. So yeah, I just, I just, I, I don't really understand why this novel was written the way it was written. I, I just, (laughs) I don't. And honestly, you know, this is one of the few times that I've read a Star Trek novel where, as I'm reading it, I thought, when I get on the podcast, I think I'm just going to say, "Why? Why write this novel? Why are we reading?" <laughs> like I'm not really getting it. It's not. It's not that bad, but without getting into the spoilers now, I, I'm going to save it for when we really start digging into the book. But it just, I just don't understand why. What what it what and no oh, I know what the other thing I kept th- saying to myself is, what am I reading? <laughs> what is this? What is going on? And to be honest with you, when I started go through the book again to prepare notes, I started thinking, oh wait a second, was this supposed to be a comedy? Is it supposed to be funny? Because I didn't think of it that way at the time. I mean, there's still funny moments, but it's like I almost think like this is a,
2: supposed to be a joke. <laughs>
1: don't know (laughs) not like a gold key comic joke though
2: (laughs) yeah or like uh, how much for just the planet like not quite that level (laughs) yes
1: actually but gold key comics i can see this concept being used in a gold key comic
2: very much yeah It, it feels it feels like an original series episode where they like they visited the gangster planet or they visited the the Nazi planet the you know this is the ancient China planet I guess yes so it kind of fits that way a little bit. and I thought of that and
1: I thought that and I thought well that does feel like Star Trek and that works but after we come back from the break we'll go more into it and it's not as bad as I'm saying but I I think this could have been better if they hadn't done some of the things they did that bother me, and you'll you'll find out what bothers me right after this break.
2: This episode of Positively Trek is brought to you by our wonderful supporters on Patreon, including our Constitution Class supporters Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, Carl Morris, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, John Blaber, and Jesse Earl. Thank you all so much for your support of the Positively Trek podcast. If you would like to become a patron of the show, go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, and more. Again, that's patreon.com slash positivelytrek. Thank you once again. And now let's get back to the show.
1: Welcome back to Positively Trek, because... I'm positively going to tell you what I think of this book <laughs> in a positive manner. No, but all seriousness, I, I don't hate this book. I And and you know, if I had to read it again, I wouldn't have a problem with that. It really wasn't that bad. I just have certain issues. That, and if I have certain issues with something, then I, I typically can overlook things, but this one I just don't get. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. But anyway, like we said at the beginning of the show, there's a civil war going on. Now you have the emperor's eldest son, the dragon heir, who is set to marry Tung's daughter, the green pearl of Tung. And when they get married, they'll be able to bring peace to the empire. And at this time that the Federation would also be able to get a treaty signed and then they can, the Federation can then admit the empire into the great federation of planets mm-hmm. at the same time, you have this Raider warship, the Cacao, and it tries to intercept the enterprise.
2: Yeah. And the cacao they're these like reptilian conquerors that have threatened to kind of take over less, less advanced species. And Starfleet's kind of believing they're going to invade Pi soon. And they want to be able to admit Pi into the federation in order to be able to protect them. It's interesting because the the cacao, their technology doesn't match the Federations, right? The Federation can take them, basically, but they're kind of restricted from what they can do, not just because Pi isn't part of the Federation, but also there's this whole thing of like the honor of Pi. They can't just go rescue them from these reptilians because they have to maintain the honor of of, of this planet and they can deal with their own problems and that sort of thing until they're part of the Federation, then they'll be able to defend them. So that's kind of going on while this is happening as well.
1: Yeah, And I, you know, I, I kind of appreciated this, this part of the story, but they kind of show up and then they leave for a while. And then as the story goes on, they later come back, but they're also working with somebody on the planet of pie that's helping them in their mission to try to disrupt Things that are happening there of getting the treaty signed because they don't want the treaty to be signed because they eventually do kind of want to conquer or take over this planet, which in a lot of ways I kept wondering, well, why haven't they done that before? Like, why are they waiting till now? They've been in this region of space, apparently, for long periods of time, conquering worlds. I'm assuming maybe because there's so many worlds and they just never got around to pie. You know,
2: or- yeah, I, I think they're just starting to encroach in this area, which is why the Federation is starting to worry about it. So they they've gone in to try and get them into the Federation so they can protect them.
1: Yeah. So, but I mean that part was okay for me. Um, but then the Enterprise gets to Pi, and we find out that as we said, they during these medieval ancient kind of chinese ways of things which i think is pretty cool i mean not to the full ex- if they weren't doing it to the full extent that's fine but if you know certain ways of their culture or design and art and certain ways that would be fine but this is like full tilt ancient china kind of way of doing things to the point that the women are all like servants mm-hmm. and they're like second-class citizens. And this is the part I have a problem with. But the problem I have isn't that, oh, if you go to a place like, you know, you're you've got issues there with, you know, women always have to be subservient. They have to be naked and all this stuff. This is a colony from earth that left during this time period, the time period we're living in now. What group of people in today's age, especially women would want to go to a colony and be subservient to men? I, mm-hmm. I I don't understand that.
2: Yeah. And yeah, that doesn't make a ton of sense to me either. Oddly enough, that's not the biggest problem I had with this whole part of the story. My big problem is, well, then now we're going to admit them into the Federation and they hold these values and they treat whole parts of their population, half of their population, basically as property. Right. Like they... To the point where, and I'm jumping all over this novel now, to the point where Riker is playing a poker game against a bunch of other men and they're betting their concubines and Riker is winning them. Yes. And I'm like, wait, how is any of this okay? Like this is, that's not right at all. (laughs) <laughs> yeah.
1: And Riker's checking out different women and they're like, Oh, you like this one, huh? And she he's like, Yeah, she's beautiful. I'm like, what is Riker doing? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Like, this doesn't feel right. And that that's the problem I had too, is the Federation wants to admit them into the Federation. And the other the third problem I had is how Troy and Crusher are just like, oh, we're looking forward to getting out of our uniforms and just dressing in the garb that they wear down there so we just kind of fit in because we don't want to disrupt this treaty from being signed. They're almost like looking forward to it, like this would be fun. And yeah, I would think that they would be like, you know, we have a problem with this, you know, and maybe we shouldn't go down if we, if you know, because I'm not going to participate in this but they Mm -hmm. do. It's like they're enjoying it.
2: Yeah. And, and again, they don't seem to have any problem with them being a part of the Federation, even though they, you know, would interact with other Federation members and expect women to be submissive and subservient. And yeah, the whole cosplay thing where they're like, okay, we're going to dress in, in more feminine garb. We're going to wear gowns and, and, and stuff rather than our uniforms, so as not to disrupt things. I was like, okay, I could see maybe something along those lines. And my thinking was the story was going to go in one particular direction, and it kind of does a little bit, but not far enough, I don't think. My expectation was Crusher and Troy are going to go on this away mission, and at some point they're going to demonstrate that women are just as capable as men and bring a new kind of awareness. And, and, you know, maybe this book has a bit of a feminist angle to it. Maybe that they'll overcome this and, and prove, you know, yada, yada, yada. And there's a little bit of that. Like there's, there's a little bit of like crusher. Oh, you're a doctor. You know, the healing arts. Wow. That's crazy. Weird. And yeah so that gets touched on a little bit, but I really don't that didn't pay off the way I thought it would, and it really does just kind of be them being there as eye candy a little bit, especially with Troy, even though she does play a pivotal role with you know getting the treaty signed. she's kind of I wouldn't say willing, but she's willing to use the the situation to her advantage when the dragon gets like interested in her and invites her back to his room and stuff. And she kind of goes along with that. And I understand it's, it's for the purposes of advancing the Federation's cause, but it still seemed like that was, I don't know. Icky is probably the best word I could come up with there. Yeah, that's, that's a good word for that.
1: Again, I just kept wondering why I don't know why, It's being written this way. It would work better for me if for some reason the enterprise went back in time to this period and they're not having them enter into the Federation. But this is a period of time that they know this is what it was like. They're not there to necessarily change it because they're not there to change history, but there's something they need to accomplish while they're there. And so they just have to go with it and fit into the society and deal with it. But that's not what we're dealing with here. We're not dealing with also the prime directive of you know we got to avoid being involved. Or I mean, the prime directive has something to do in this when uh, it comes to trying to defend Pi from the Chakal race, you know. And mm-hmm. they can't protect them until you know there is a treaty or whatever. But I I just didn't really understand the whole purpose of this planet being this way and that these women who left earth in the 21st century wanting to go and have this lifestyle and it's fine if they wanted to i mean first of all i don't think it's really fine but if that's what they wanted to and that's the life they wanted to live i wish that would have been explored like i'd I'd want to Mm -hmm. know the whole backstory of why they left earth why they decide to colonize in this manner why to live a life like this why the women were okay with being submissive and, and being servants and, and why they decided to go why the women wanted to go that route, you know, or, and maybe it's because they were lived in a society on earth in the 21st century that was still like that. They always practiced the old ways and they left earth because earth was trying to change them into the modern way. Like, I just needed something, you know, mm-hmm. I need to understand why these people would do this.
2: Yeah, and and for me reading it, I never even got the impression that it was a group of women that left Earth that wanted this lifestyle. I just kind of assumed they were subjugated by the men. Right. That, you know, I, I, I don't think they ever did want that. I, I never got that impression at all.
1: Well, no, and that's just it. I'm not sure if they wanted it or if they didn't. But if they didn't want it, how did they end up there? I mean, mm-hmm. who— what I'm trying to say is, if these people are living on Earth right now and they're getting to ready to leave next year, who are these people? Why would these women go? Or did they were they expecting to be independent women, and once they got there, that's when the men took over and and made them servants, and that's something they weren't expecting. And again, that's that would be fine if you know, but that's the story I want to know. I want to know why.
2: You know. Yeah. Yeah, and this book really doesn't seem interested in, in telling us that story at all. So it's kind of like you say, like it would almost work better if they went back in time and encountered this or something. But instead, the book just kind of expects us to believe that this kind of ancient culture has been transplanted wholesale uh, from just, you know, basically our time now or a few years ago into the 24th century and yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me at all.
1: Yeah. I mean it would be like the Enterprise visiting a planet of cavemen and cave women and find out, oh well there are colonists from Earth that left Earth and wanted to come here and be cavemen. <laughs> like, and that's it. Oh, okay. Like I'd still want to know why. I don't know. That that mm-hmm. was the thing that bothered me most about the book was just I didn't understand this the situation that they were in.
2: Yeah, it's funny you mention cavemen a little bit because we kind of got that story in Enterprise with, uh, with the Terra Nova colony with basically there was an asteroid impact and it yeah. you know made the society revert underground and, and stuff. So yeah, if there was some sort of exploration of like a cataclysm or something, some external force that made them have to revert to the old ways or something somehow, that would kind of be a little bit more satisfying on some level. But like I said, this book is just not interested in telling us that story. It just expects us to kind of accept that situation somehow um, as having come about
1: (laughs) (laughs) somehow. That's the thing about Star Trek is when we visit civilizations, we're always there to learn about them. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like we were really learning that aspect of them as, you know, who they are, why they are this way or whatever. It's just, okay, there are these colonists are, Practicing these this old way of life, but if anything, we're learning about how the society is running. Yeah, you know, it's almost like the authors are like, "Hey, you know, I love medieval China. I like stories like that. What if we had the, you know, crew of the Enterprise in that situation?" But um, yeah, Riker playing poker that started off a little weird to me, <laughs> but honestly, that started to get to be a bit fun after a while. Not every aspect of it, but at, like towards the end of the book, it was kind of funny to see how these men are trying to understand the concept of lying. Why would you lie? That's dishonorable. You know, mm-hmm. there's no honor in lying. And Riker's trying to explain the game.
2: Yeah, that whole thing. There, there was some fun bits in that that I really enjoyed. Uh, Riker's biggest uh, mistake in all of that, I think. Well, I and, and I love how it actually turns out that he ends up winning the whole planet basically. And that like figures into the conclusion quite nicely. But didn't you think that like early on when, you know, there's one of these women who's like nuzzling up to him and, and, you know, trying to get close to him and stuff. And, and he's kind of saying like, Oh no, you know, back off. I, this isn't right. And then he realizes his phaser is missing. What kind of officer doesn't immediately report that and, like, get that recovered? Like, oh, my phaser's gone. Someone in here must have it. Hmm, I better just kind of sit back and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and then it almost gets used to assassinate the the leader of the planet, because of course it does. Like, what were you thinking? Anyway, Sorry. That's not the biggest thing in this book, but it was one moment when I was like, Ray Kirk, come on, you're better than this.
1: Well, that's just it. I think that does say something about the book, how I felt at times throughout is like, I don't understand why the crew is accepting things or why they're just dismissing something. And it's just like, they're just going with the flow. You know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh, my phaser's
2: missing. All right. Well, maybe it will show up at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there is a bunch of that. And like, there's, there's some bits that I feel like are played a bit for laughs, but maybe shouldn't be like when the dragon, for example, there's, there's an assassination attempt and there's, uh, this, this thing that's going to like fly at him or fly at somebody. They don't know it's the emperor. They don't know exactly where, who the target was. But I I kind of, for this part, I pictured, if anybody's familiar with Dune, the little hunter-seeker, the little floating syringe that, like, zips out and kills people. I pictured something like that, and Data, of course, sees it and acts extremely fast and stops it. And then the Emperor is kind of, like, obsessed with getting his hands on Data and, like, having Picard grant Data as a gift and Picard's, you know, like, oh, no, you can't do that. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a member of my crew, blah, blah, blah. You know, and there's some lip service paid to like, well, he's a sentient being and we don't buy and sell people. But then the same thing kind of happens later with Deanna, where he's kind of intimating that Deanna Troy would make a great gift from the Federation. And like, how is anybody okay with this? <laughs> like. No, I mean they're not okay with it obviously, but they don't say like, well, under under our federation beliefs this is wrong and people can't, he doesn't doesn't once say people can't own another person in the federation. Well, apparently they can now because they're going to admit the Dragon Empire into the federation and slavery is regularly practiced. So that just Oh, I'm sorry to keep coming back to that point, but it really bugs me.
1: <laughs> no, it bothered me too. It just didn't feel right. You know? Yeah. None of it felt exactly right. It was, you know, that's why I was saying earlier, what is this? Why am I reading this? Like, I don't understand. Because where are the moral lessons that you get from a Star Trek episode or book in these types of situations? I mean, first of all, I think I would accept this culture better if it was an alien culture of some type and not a descendant of earth but Mm -hmm. at the same time even if it was that i would expect the enterprise crew like you said earlier that maybe they they show them that women are just as good as men and shouldn't be servants or something or you know just something in there where that's not how the Federation works, and and this is how what we are, and this is what we've learned, and maybe you're not quite ready to join us, you know. But there was mm-hmm. never anything like that. It was just more. Picard is desperately trying to fulfill his mission of getting the the Dragon to sign the treaty so that they could become Federation members. And hey, the way you're living life, hey, don't worry about that. We just want you to be members, and it just didn't. feel
2: yeah. like yeah, and I mean, I, I kind of get the ultimate goal of saving lives, right? Like, they see the, that these people are going to be wiped out by the Gakao. That's what they do. They go and wipe out and terraform planets and make them livable for their own species. But at at one point, like, the Emperor is kind of like, "Ah, I don't know about this treaty. I don't know about joining the Federation. It's we feel maybe you don't have enough honor that we want to join you and combine our honor with yours. Well, we have more than enough. Our, our ships can, can protect us. And Picard knows and explains to him, no, your ships cannot like they will wipe out everybody here. And He's still like, no, let's just eat stuff and and party and don't worry about it. It's fine. Like, at what point do you, as Picard, just say, well, there's nothing more I can do. Like, I'm just going to walk away. You're not willing to accept our help. You're going to be the doom of your own planet. Like, and I've explained this to you what more can I do? Like, I feel like at some point you just have to say like, okay, this isn't going to work. I'm sorry. If you change your mind, hail us. We'll be nearby. But yeah, is that, does that make me a bad person? Because all these people are going to get wiped out because of the idiocy of this emperor.
1: (laughs) No, because it's, it's like the prime directive, right? I mean, this whole non-interference thing. And even though that doesn't necessarily apply in this situation that, you know, they can talk to them. I mean, I guess they have the, the technology and they are descendants of earth that they can. And there was communication that they can. It doesn't mean that I I guess what I'm trying to say is let let's picture something else. Let's picture that there's some alien planet and the enterprise is driving by it. (laughs) they don't necessarily drive, but I like that. They're driving by the planet and the planet reaches out or or the Enterprise knows that there's some other alien race that's going to attack the planet. And the Enterprise beams down and says, hey, we want to tell you that you're about to get attacked and we're here to help you and protect you. And they go, nope, we're not interested. Thank you anyway. Well, wouldn't the prime directive say that they can't interfere with that if the I mean, is even though you want to save their lives, they're telling mm-hmm. you, know, that's kind of what it felt like in this too. He's like, oh, I'm not worried about it. I don't care. And they're not even members of the Federation. So you would think Picard would try to more desperately try to convince him. And then if that doesn't work, trying to find some kind of loophole in this whole thing that he can maybe help protect them without having the treaty yeah. signed,
2: you know? Well, and the other thing that kind of drives me a little bit nuts towards the, at the very end of the novel as well is like the emperor has agreed to sign the treaty. They've said like, basically things happen and he's seen the light and he's like, okay, I'll sign the treaty. Yes, we want to bind our honor to yours, yada, yada, yada. He agrees But they still can't do anything until the marriage happens, because until the marriage happens, the planet is not truly at peace, and they can only admit them into the Federation if the planet is truly at peace. And I'm like, okay, this is... That's too convoluted. It's ridiculous. He has signed the treaty. They're obviously at peace. If they're sitting there attending a wedding that is meant to bring the planet peace, go ahead and defend the planet. Like, why do they have to wait till the exact moment that they say, I do that? Like, okay, yay. Now we can do what we have to do. That just struck me as so kind of ridiculous and convoluted that like he signed the treaty. It's fine. Just, just defend them. (laughs) <laughs> they're going to get married. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Cause wasn't the marriage supposed to unite the two
1: separate groups into one. So maybe the treaty can't cover the treaty has to cover all of them. Right. So,
2: and that's, and that's what they say. Yeah. But, but like, still. <laughs> if it's going to happen in the next five, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a diplomat, but like, uh, it just was ridiculous. The kind of wording of that, that made that, what had to happen first.
1: (laughs) Yeah, And then there's this, you know, we're talking about Riker and, you know, he, he's fighting with this one guy, you know, there's this, like this little bra before they go into the poker game or whatever. And then in the same chapter, there's this whole story about Dr. Crusher, who's going to go and watch over the green pearl and, and the green pearls fighting with, Shao Har who's the heir's daughter from a previous marriage and there just seems to be a lot of fighting going on even between Worf and this grand minister of internal security (laughs) and but then they get along just great they decide they'll do their duel after
2: the treaty and stuff but I just I kind of loved their thing by the way
1: (laughs) it was like a little bromance
2: yeah totally but it was that chapter
1: kind of went on for a while of these going back and forth between these three groups and a lot of like I said physical fighting or bickering or whatever and that it, that one's just starting to get a little old for me I don't know about mm-hmm. you but uh, I I couldn't figure out where we were going with this
2: yeah that didn't it's it's funny like the the smaller details of the story other than a few things that bugged me didn't bother me as much as kind of the overall why question that you keep asking. So like some of these little side stories and stuff, I thought were interesting. You know, I, I liked the fact that there's this daughter of a previous marriage and she's actually older than the new wife, which by the way is actually kind of weird and and a little again, icky, but you know, it creates some interesting dynamics there, I guess. And so, yeah, some of these interpersonal things, were interesting to me what what bugs me though again with this is Dr. Crusher is seeing this relationship and how badly the green pearl does not want to marry this guy and she's breaking down into tears but she's like well but they have to get married for our mission to be complete so I guess I have to do whatever I can to convince her to do it and I'm like really Like, that doesn't bug your ethics at all? Like, you don't see a problem with that? Encouraging this? I don't know. It's, I guess, like, I have problems with how this culture is being portrayed to our crew and then them acting out of character and just going along with it, I guess.
1: Or maybe... it would have worked better if the internal monologue in crusher is she doesn't want to have to do this and support it. And she doesn't like this,
2: but for the mission, and there is a bit of that. Yeah. But not enough. Yeah. I don't
1: think, I don't think it comes strongly across that. Yeah. You know, that she's got an issue with it. It's not like she goes later to John Luke is like, I'm really struggling with having to do this. John luc And he's like, I understand this is not very comfortable for us. And they're not, to, but you know, we've got to complete this mission in order to save their, their lives. And for the, you know, we, you know, we just have to just go along with it. Like there was nothing like that. It was just like you said before, they're just kind of just, okay, we'll go with it. I, but I did like, you know, how the daughter wants Crusher to explain the birds and the bees to her. You know, she's like, <laughs> I
2: thought little- that was kind of funny too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was, I mean, who better than a medical doctor, right? That's kind of perfect, I guess.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So, um, and then Picard also struggling with the food doesn't always agree <laughs> with him.
2: I was noticing like a pattern and it was the first couple times. I'm like, ah, oh, that's kind of funny. And then when it happened, like the third and fourth time, I'm just, I'm rolling my eyes a little bit that like, there's a section with Picard and the dragon emperor and, they'd be talking because to say like, Oh, the treaty. And he's like, Oh, forget about the treaty here. Try this. And then he would say something like, Oh, you have to try this really disgusting thing. And that's like where that scene would end on kind of a laugh. <laughs> and then they did that like three or four times. And I'm like, okay, we get it. Now he's eating like some testicles of this animal that have been freeze dried for a hundred years or something, whatever. It's like, yeah. okay, we get it. It's gross. Yeah.
1: I'm glad you brought that part up. I, I Cause I didn't put that in the notes and I thought about doing it, but that dish, that, that food item that was marinating for, they said that could have been <laughs> like thousands of years. I was like, well, wait a second. If they came to this planet in the 21st century per se
2: was this prepared on earth and brought with them?
1: Like I was a little confused.
2: See, I would have almost preferred if another way to have done it would have been like not a time travel story necessarily, but like in the original series, we had lots of cultures that were like transplanted by the, the providers or whoever, or the, not the providers, but, The preservers. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, you know, different cultures transplanted to different worlds and like, why not just one more of those? Like, that's fine. That would have made more sense if like, Oh, 2000, 3000 years ago, whatever this group was brought here and they've established their culture since then. That would have made more sense.
1: Well, and now that I'm thinking about it, we did say earlier that these researchers didn't necessarily know that it was a theory that they came from Earth. Mm. Maybe they didn't. And it was just yeah. thought that, you know, because the culture's so similar to medieval China that they just assume that it's possible that they may be colonists, but maybe they weren't.
2: Yeah, maybe it's another example of Hodgkin's love parallel planet development or something, you know, something from TOS like that. Yeah.
1: But again, if that were the case, I'd want that explored in the story.
2: Yeah. It's just kind of hand-waved and not really dealt with. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. But I did like, um, we were talking about the pearl and that, oh, there was the, also the wedding gifts gone missing. The mystery like mm-hmm. you were saying and I was like yeah how did all those wedding gifts get out of that big room or whatever because it was guarded and, and I really was getting curious about that and the green pearl is now missing and of course she is later found with this the the heir's brother or whoever and you know the, the second
2: son the yeah.
1: second son yes and that you know they're in love they want to be together because really this was an arranged marriage between the dragon heir and her And they're, they're not interested in each other, but then we come to find out that the dragon heir is the one who's trying to assassinate his own father and working with the cow to, to get this done. And he's like, you don't understand if I don't kill my father, they'll kill me, you know, because they're all, Mm. he's, he's, was always against the treaty himself, the, the dragon heir. So that's why the cow was also interested, you know, and working with him, but. Um I did find that storyline interesting. I liked it
2: hmm I've got to ask were you surprised by the the that revelation or was that kind of one of your guesses or
1: um that's a good question I don't recall I don't think it was one of my guesses I don't think I gave a lot of thought as to who was doing it, but no i don't i I don't think I was thinking of him
2: were you I was just because the story, there's a couple points where like the, the trader, whoever it is, we don't know yet at the time is speaking with the Gakao. And at the same time, like, oh, this person and this person have left the room and that person is also not accounted for. So it could be any of them. And, you know, they, they made a point of like, Ooh, it it could be any number of these people. And I kept thinking, like, he was against the Federation treaty, like, I feel like he's planning something. But the story did kind of, when they revealed the second son had stolen all the gifts and and stuff, I thought maybe, oh, he's got something to do with it. So they did pull a little bit of an old switcheroo on me there, but it wasn't, I, I would say I enjoyed the mystery, the who done it kind of thing, even though the answer wasn't that surprising to me it was still the the actual plot of trying to find out who it was was kind of fun
1: yeah and then there was the whole thing where picard surprised or troy surprised that she didn't sense that he was the one assassin (laughs) because well it's because you're a woman and you're not near him so if you're not near him you're not going to sense it you
2: know yeah they're like oh they sat far away at the table (laughs) so that explains it right (laughs) That almost felt to me, and I have no idea, but that almost felt to me like, wait a minute. Like they're writing and they're like, wait a minute. We had Troy on this mission. Why didn't she know? Uh, Oh, crap. Um, And they had to come up with something. I don't know that that's the case. I'm probably giving them too little credit there, but uh, it just felt a little bit. Oh, okay. I guess that's why she didn't sense it. Hmm."
1: Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> and then the whole thing about then the emperor proposes that Riker marry Shahar, and and uh, and but they can't get married because they're incompatible to have children. Like at this point, I was like, "Wait, this really is supposed to be
2: a funny book?"
1: <laughs> I don't know because it was amusing at the end.
2: Yeah, and like because Riker had won the whole planet basically in the poker game that was like the, the dowry, basically the gift to the, the bride's family, which would, you know, but then, <laughs> then, uh, they're like, Oh, we can't get married, but the gift still stands. We still have to give the gift. So the planet is yours again. And that was, that was a little bit silly, but fun. Like I was like, I could see Picard thinking like, aha, I know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then also earlier in this,
1: uh, bits and pieces throughout the book La Forge wanting mm-hmm. to give them a firework show and and then he finds out that oh they've had these great light shows from the Nebula and it's like oh he can't doesn't feel like he can really compete with that or something you know and I'm just like wait again I'm like wait why
2: why is the Forge so like determined to do a firework show I thought that was fun. It was just like, he had nothing else to do really in the story. So to bring him in to do that, it was, I did love the very ending where like he does put on a fireworks show and it's amazing because it's just old fashioned gunpowder fireworks. Like we have nowadays. It's like, ah, nobody's seen these for hundreds of years. You know, this, this'll be fine. Uh, and it's cool because, yeah, it's something new and unexpected. So I was like, ah, that's cute. I kind of enjoyed that. Well, is there anything we haven't covered in here that you want to talk about? I don't think so. I think we covered it pretty well. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, final thoughts, Dan. I I can't wait to hear what you have to say at the end here.
2: Well, yeah. I generally speaking, again damning with faint praise, I guess. It's not my favorite novel by any stretch. There are a lot of leaps in logic that don't make a lot of sense to me. My biggest problem still is, you know, why are we allowing slavery in the Federation if the goal is to get the Dragon Empire into the Federation, yada, yada, yada. And then the other main problem I have is the actions of our characters that just seem wildly out of character in a lot of instances, Riker, especially, but also Troy and crusher, I think are a big part of that as well. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me where I get enjoyment out of this book is in the, the actual plot of it is well-written. It's, it moves, it's well-paced. I enjoy the actual plot aspects of the story. I thought it was interesting. The kind of who done it, and all of that and the, you know, Picard playing politics a little bit and creative solutions to difficult problems and stuff. But ultimately, like I, I hate, I always hate giving low ratings, but I think I have to give this one probably two out of five hidden passageways beneath the dragon emperor's palace. I just wasn't, one that I think adds a lot to the Star Trek story overall. And I think it's skippable if you're not interested in, in reading about some of this stuff. Again, the writing's good. The story moves at a good pace. And I love some of the like descriptive writing, but there's just too many things in it that really had me scratching my head.
1: I agree with most of, or really everything you said that I, yeah, the story's well written, the pace is good, so it it was not something I had a trouble it wasn't something I had trouble reading at all. And I I could read it again because the writing is well done. It's just everything seemed out of character for me. You know, it's one thing when I go into a tie-in novel, especially a Star Trek one, and let's say we're reading a book and we're like, you know what? I don't think the author got Worf quite right. You know, they're, they portrayed Worf in this other manner. And he's not quite like that on the show. At times I can say, well, you know, I can accept that because this is the author's inter- interpretation of Worf. And so if I just go along with that, then, you know, and if it works in the story, I'll go with it. But what doesn't work for me here is they mischaracterize what the mission of Star Trek is with the mission of, Starfleet is and of the Enterprise and the Federation. And it just seems like it's almost like, hey, let's write an ancient medieval Chinese fantasy novel, which our Starfleet crew can be a part of. That's what it feels like to me. And it doesn't like to you said earlier, like, why are they accepting this? Why do they want to bring them in the Federation? you know, know, if they have women as servants and such, and it just doesn't seem right. So it mischaracterizes what Starfleet is about. And that's where I really have a problem with it, but I didn't totally dislike it and parts of it were entertaining, but there's all these Asian stereotypes in there that just felt a little uncomfortable too. So, Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. Again, I don't get it. So <laughs> anyway, but I to, okay. Let me go back to what you said. Could you skip it? Yes, I would probably tell most people just skip this one. But if somebody's a completist or really loves TNG and wants to read just about anything TNG, I would say yeah, go ahead and read it. It's not that bad. Just be prepared that it's going to be a little weird, and for the reasons we said. So I will give this one also two out of five fireworks that, you know, the thought went really
2: well. Nice. I do also want to say the cacao as a species, I think, are interesting. Like we get they, they have different ways of communicating. There's like olfactory things in in how they communicate and they live in kind of dark, murky, mucky spaceships and stuff. Kind of like I guess uh interstellar alligators or crocodiles. I'm not yeah. sure. It's kinda neat. So I'll give them points too for the, the interesting alien race too that at first I thought were just like you know, like the Gorn, but they're actually very different and very alien. I appreciated that.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm glad you called that out.
2: We didn't give enough attention to them, but
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: And they're gonna eat all the people of pie. That's what they're gonna do. They're they're gonna his, every time they talk to the trader and they sign off, it's like, Oh, I'm going to eat that one first. (laughs) That was kind of fun. Uh, You know? Yeah. different.
1: I like to eat pie too. So,
2: (laughs) yeah, there you go.
1: (laughs) So a quick, uh, totally off topic story since we're talking about pie. So when my wife and I got married, you know, she likes to cook. She likes to bake things. She's, she's always been one to do a lot of baking. And, I started to notice then, you know, as years went on, maybe a good 10 years of our marriage, because we've been married now 23 years, she had never baked a pie. And I never really thought much of it. I just thought, she just doesn't bake pies or whatever. So, anyway, one time we were at my parents' house and my mom said, you know, oh, I made a pie. And I'm like, oh, good. Yeah, I haven't had a pie in a long time. I love pies. And my wife goes, no, you don't. You don't like pies. (laughs) I'm like, pies are like one of my favorite desserts. And she's like, Really? She goes, I, for some reason, I thought you didn't like pies. I've been wanting to make pies for years, but I never did because I thought you <laughs> hated them.
2: <laughs> oh, that's funny. So now we have pie. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Now, of course, well,
1: I could make pies, but I, I'm not very good at it.
2: Yeah, I've made a pie or two in my life. I'm. I'm the funny thing is, uh, in our household, Nikki actually doesn't really like pie, so... Um, yeah, we don't have a lot of pie at our place. Uh, it's funny that there was a misunderstanding there, but I definitely know that Nikki doesn't like pie very much. So, (laughs) well then she probably wouldn't like this book. (laughs) 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 Well, Dan, when you're not eating pie, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kertrats. That's K E R T R A T S youtube.com slash Kertrats productions and all over the internet, Kurtrats47 on Instagram, and the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook. Yes. And Bruce, when you're not inciting reptiles to come and eat pie, <laughs> where can we find you? <laughs>
1: Well, when I'm not eating pie, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex, and you can also find me on Instagram, just Admiral Rex, where I post lots of pictures of pies. It's just so exciting. No, I don't. I never post pictures of pies.
2: Now I'm craving pie. Mm. Me too. Darn it. Yes. <laughs> and we don't have any in the house oh, for sure. won't run out to the store and get
1: one that's already made. Um, <laughs> but you can also find me here on the show. But you can also find me on Goodreads, our Goodreads group, where we post books that uh, that we have coming up here on the book club. And you can also find me in Georgia, where I live. And <laughs> I don't know. Oh, and then you can find me by emailing us, track at gmail.com or tweeting to us at positivelytrek or Instagramming us. Is that a verb? At And we want to give a shout out to our patrons on Patreon for your support of the show. We really appreciate it. And Dan, what's your
2: favorite pie? Oh, you know, I love a good apple pie, but my grandma used to make an amazing Saskatoon pie. And Saskatoons are like, if people don't know, they're like smaller, more tart blueberries so good oh so i i might have to say a saskatoon pie is my favorite at this particular moment in time
1: oh wow so my favorite is apple very very close second if almost tie would be blueberry pie my grandmother mm, yep. used to ha- my g- grandparents had a uh, blueberry patch and my brother and oh, I would nice. pick blueberries and she would bake all kinds of stuff with the blueberries but I also love chocolate pie where it's like a graham cracker crust with pudding, chocolate pudding Mm -hmm. and put some cool whip on there. Mm.
2: Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. I, you know, I made a really good lemon meringue pie a little while ago and a key lime pie. I did as well. Um, and then a few years ago, it's not my favorite, but it's really good. Uh, I, I like pumpkin pie and I made, uh, I made a pumpkin pie that called for maple syrup in the recipe, so it was like a a mapley pumpkin pie, and then another one that called for ginger in the recipe, so it had like a ginger pumpkin pie. Those were excellent.
1: Ooh, that sounds good. I like that.
2: Oh, now I really want pie. I know. Darn it.
1: <laughs> What's funny about the pumpkin pie? I never really cared for pumpkin pumpkin pie that much. I mean. You know, Thanksgiving, I might have a little slice of it or something, but my mom always made sure she made another pie that, like an apple pie, that I could mm. eat. But over the recent years now, I've been getting more and more into pumpkin pie, and I think one reason is because my wife will take the pumpkins that we get at Halloween, and mm-hmm. then she brings takes all the pumpkin out, freezes it. And then by Thanksgiving and Christmas, she'll make it. And I swear, it's like f- the fresh pumpkin is much better than the canned stuff. That oh, you know, so much better. It's so yeah. much better. So <laughs> uh, another big thing here in the South, which
2: I think I've only had once, sweet potato pie, which is kind of tastes like pumpkin pie. I've heard of it. I've never had it myself. I know it's a it's a staple of celebrations and stuff. But yeah, not one I've had. Yeah, I
1: think I've had it once. But anyway. Hmm. Um, guys, I'm sorry, everyone. We've got to go because we're hungry and we've got to have some pie. So thanks, everyone, for joining us. (laughs) Grab a fork, grab a spoon, sit down, and join us. And while we do this, please stay positive.
2: I'm positive. I like pie.